We all remember a moment when music changed our lives. For many in Generation X, that moment came sometime in late 1991, when a simple driving chord progression introduced us to Smells Like Teen Spirit, the first track on Nirvana's Nevermind. Endless play on MTV, and a new sound that combined the angst of punk with the musical competence of classic rock, sent Nirvana blazing across the musical skies in a two-year arc that ended in Kurt Cobain's tragic suicide. The meteor also came to Earth and destroyed the dinosaurs that were the hair bands of the late 80s. Rock music was never the same, and neither were your hosts. So, we caught a red-eye flight to the Seattle in our minds and mixed up some lumberjack cocktails to revisit the album that made alternative mainstream. It's time for episode 65 of Toasting the Classics, Nirvana's Nevermind. Welcome to Toasting the Classics. This is the podcast where we take something people call a classic, talk about it, and decide if it's still a classic. And while we're doing so, we drink something that's inspired by the classic. What are we doing this week? Or this this is your pick. This is uh, Nirvana Nevermind. So Nirvana's Nevermind uh, premiered in late 1991, mm-hmm. my senior yep. year of high school. See, this is the kind of thing where there's only a couple years difference between us, but this is the kind of thing where it's kind of a big difference. Because this was right when I got to high school, like I was a freshman, and this was a big deal. This this kind of determined what music was going to be like for me all through high school. This is pretty yeah, much well, what we listened to. And and the same here. I mean, I for me it was college, unfairly maybe, but this 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 particular album is uh, like an icon. It has a myth behind it. it it's it's mm-hmm. considered like the start of the grunge movement. It wasn't. There are, there are other bands and other... No, you. yeah. So it's the first one that crossed over, right? It, it yeah. had f- five number one hits. What would those be? That obviously smells like Teen Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, lithium. Yeah, Lithium. Come As You Are. And I don't know, what were the other... Maybe In Bloom? Let's see. Was that, one a, was that one a top hit? Because I was surprised. I saw the album was only number six. How was that possible? Uh, I think um, uh, Plane was another one. On a Plane. On a plane, really? Lithium really um, comes as you are. Smells like Teen Spirit. Something in the way. I don't know if they got up to number one. Smells like Teen Spirit. Come as you are. Definitely. Oh, okay, okay. Not number one. You mean just um, just Billboard? Maybe maybe, maybe top top ten or something. Okay, okay. That, but that I mean, as I was listening to the album, I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's a radio. That's a radio hit. That's a radio hit. That's uh-huh. a radio hit. Just on and on and on. They're releasing them as singles you know, for the radio for like the next year. It was kind of funny. It was like in June oh, yeah. too. This one. I'm like, the album had been out for almost a year. But anyway, so it's it's considered kind of the first grunge album uh, because it crossed over. So it's the first one that really exposed it. Um, right. it, it kind of set the scene for this Seattle sound that, that people then attribute to grunge. It's because of them, a lot of acts became mainstream, like Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam also kind of crossed over. But let's just take when it, when it came out. So 1991, here are some other albums that came out in 1991. And we talked about this when we talked about Chronic or The Chronic. You've got Nirvana, you've got U2's Octung Baby. Yeah, that was a good album. I had that. That was Use Your Use Your Illusion One. Yeah, also um, a good album. You've got Temple of the Dog came out. You've got Metallica's Black album came out. Mm-hmm. You've yep. got Pearl Jam's 10. You've got Sound Garden's uh Bad Motor Finger. You've got Red Hot Chili Peppers Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, just on and on. I mean, what a year for... Uh... That, that was the other one that hit me the way this did. The first time I ever heard the song 
Under the Bridge. The first yeah. time I heard that song, I stopped what I was doing and I was like, that is awesome. Yeah. I was like, I, I need to listen. I need to buy that album and listen to right. that over and over again. I was at a party. I remember the first time I heard it like it was yesterday. It was the exact same thing with this one. I remember where I was and what I was doing when I first heard it. And it made a huge, huge impact on me right away. It was December of 91, the first time I heard it. I remember what I was doing and where I was and stuff. So Yeah. Well, it was, it was an amazing uh, album. And I mean, just... God, what a, you know, look at that competition. I mean, just how could you narrow it to like the top five? But like you've got Nevermind, Black Album, Pearl Jam 10, Soundgarden, you know, Red Hots, Guns N' Roses. I mean, you just on and on and on and on. It's just what an insane year. And this one, and so this one came out late 91. And I was really associated with 92, which is when The Chronic came out. It was just, I think it was like November 91 when Nevermind came out. That means that by the time, you know, my senior year was kind of over. That's all you heard. I have September 24th, 1991 okay. written down as the release date, but I think it was a pretty slow burn. I yeah, don't, it think, was. I don't know, think it hit everybody right away. So it came out and then all of a sudden, like at the start of the year, it got MTV. This is, this is back in the days that, that if there's anybody yeah. younger than like 35 listening, you would understand this. But, you know, MTV used to be really influential when it came to oh, yeah. pop culture. Kind of, They could make or break bands just by mm-hmm. what they would choose to play. And they played the hell out of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, yeah. And the first time I saw it, I was like, holy cow, what is this? And that, it, and then it just took off like a rocket in, in 92. It just, and it never stopped. It was just one hit after another, after another, after another. You know, and then they they kept going in utero. The, the, I think two years later, they wait, he died in 97 or 94? 94. 94. So I think In Utero came out, must have come out in like 92, 93. Yeah, I think I, I, I want to say I was in, was it 10th grade or 11th grade? But it was one of those. It was either yeah. 92 or 93. And then he died in, in April of 94. Right. So it, it it had been out for a little while, but I think it was still big in the charts when he died. Yeah. I think it was still current and like still going forward. So yeah, for sure. Again, I remember when that happened. I remember where I was when I found out that happened. That he quote unquote killed himself. Is this like a Jeffrey Epstein thing? Or? <laughs> I don't know. There's there's a there's a conspiracy theory that says what's her name actually had some Courtney Love killed him. Yeah, total total conspiracy theory. People I'm not saying I'm not I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. Dave's gonna test right. that. No, and there's actually a documentary. I think it's called Soaked in Bleach about the whole thing. You can go out and watch it and decide for yourself. It's 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 a really interesting documentary. I think more than anything, it proves that they had a very rocky relationship. Which, oh, I imagine which, so. They were both doing a lot of much, heroin. Yeah, pretty much everybody knows she was a complete mess. You know, if you read his Kurt Cobain's sort of background, you realize that man, he, he had a really, really broken background that he came from. So it's I mean it makes sense the lyrics and the songs that he would sing uh the things that he would that he would try to illuminate in his life it, it really does make sense the sense of loss and kind of self-loathing and stuff like that you know it's funny talking about the courtney love thing uh-huh. it, it, i hadn't thought of this before while i was while i was reading about nirvana but it's very similar to the sex pistols and like what happened with sid and mm. nancy yeah because it's that that band changed music like completely over the course of like a couple of months completely changed where music where rock music was going to be for for quite some time yeah and they had this just meteoric thing and then the guy was dead like almost before you knew it it's almost like i'm sure that kurt cobain knew that story and was well aware of all that yeah. that would have been a big part so 
it's almost like people live out, you know, the stories that they've heard before. It's almost like he was living out the, the Sid and Nancy thing in, in a way, like finding some chick to do heroin with and then killing himself. And like, yeah, I don't know. That's odd. I never, I never put those two together, but you're absolutely right. The Sid and Nancy, strange. I don't know. His going out was, that was really, I mean, that took all of us by surprise. Because it took me by surprise. But there was also the world, you know. They were on top of the world and I was very excited. I'd just gotten up that, you know, in utero was a big deal. I was listening to it all the time. And I was literally thinking like, this is great. I'm going to have this band to listen to for like a long time. Yeah. And there was a weird sense that something impendingly bad was going to happen at the time. Because mm-hmm. I remember Eddie Vedder disappeared for like four or five days or something. And everybody figured he had killed himself. Mm-hmm. Everybody was I like. Vaguely, I vaguely remember that. That Was that like. In Europe that was, or something or yeah something like that it was like Germany in europe and yeah. it was not long before kurt cobain killed himself yeah and i remember sort of feeling like those two stories were wrapped up into one thing and i was like for some reason i was like this movement is gonna have some big tragic thing happen i don't yeah. and, and then when kurt cobain killed himself it was like i almost felt like there that's the thing that i was kind of yeah. waiting because this happens in rock you know like what are the other famous i guess Jimi Hendrix died not really right after he was famous. It was a while later, right? Yeah. And, um, and he was only about 25, I think. He was young. He was, I think yeah. he's 27. I think 27 is the age where these guys die. Also from yeah. Seattle, weirdly enough. Yeah, he was from Seattle, um, that's right. Which is a strange well, place to be. I was, I was listening to, uh, I was li- like at a bar one time and they had like, you know, they, they have like a commercial version of Pandora for bars. And so they were playing, I think they were playing uh, the channels called Lithium or maybe it was like, XM yeah, yeah. yeah, there's an XM. Yeah, lithium. The XM radio station. The right. Alternative rock is called Lithium. Yeah. Yeah. So Lithium was the channel they had on. And I and I remember listening, and it was like Nirvana played, and then it was like Soundgarden, and then Allison Chains, and then like Stone Temple Pilots, Smashing Pumpkins. And I was like, I cannot go see the, any of those five bands in concert, the original bands in concert, because you had Kurt Cobain, you had Bruce Staley right. from, from Allison Chains OD. You had you had Chris Cornell uh, from Soundgarden. You yeah. had uh, Wyland, yeah, from STP, and then you had uh, I think the guitarist or the bassist from from Smashing Pumpkins, Odeed. Um, I didn't know that. Is that yeah, true? Just, it was just that. one on and on and on. And uh, I think it was. Let's make sure before I. It's, it's possible. I don't yeah, think it yeah. happened back then, or at least maybe it did. But I know the guy from No uh, Blind Melon. Remember that band? Yeah, that one. Right um, around the same sort of like alternative music vibe. Well, Smash kind of Pumpkins is a drummer. All these great 90s bands, they just could not lay off the smack. And heroin was a big part of it. Because I think Bruce Staley from Alice in Chains uh, also... The guy from the Foo Fighters just died. Yeah, he, he died too. Um, anyway, there was just something in the something in the time, something in... in and maybe maybe that's why Nirvana is, is and should be kind of put on the pedestal because you listen to their songs, they're very introspective. They're, they're a lot about kind of self-loathing discussions about social issues and, and the problems with society. And... So that's a, that's a big question with this album. Uh-huh. Do you think the lyrics have a lot of meaning or do they just fit the, do they just scan with the song and he's kind of like making up almost gibberish or is there, I, um, I remember at the time listening to, especially the lyrics that smells like teen spirit mm-hmm. and trying to like, transcribe them and figure out what, what what he was saying and then trying to ascribe meaning to it and i felt like i did i felt like i got what he was saying but then i've heard some things later you know like um, dave grohl was saying that they would sit down to record and 10 minutes before they recorded the song kurt cobain would be scribbling out lyrics on us and i'm like i don't know how 
I don't know how deeply thought through those lyrics are, if that's the way you do it, but maybe, maybe he was like a poetic genius and he really was writing great poetry 10 minutes before the song was recorded. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, what I, what I got from a little amount of research I do, which is all Wikipedia based was that, yeah, he yeah, was that's he a starting was, point. <laughs> he was, yeah. He was filling in lyrics, you know, like you like during a re- recording session, he would like, right. kind of finish a song lyrics up. But I think the, crux of the song like the main part of it came from like his poetry and mm-hmm. I, I can't remember which song it was but he i think it might have been lithium maybe uh where he he it, it's pieces of different poems that he wrote and he, he would put the lines together yeah so maybe so maybe what's happening is that you know that he wrote the lyrics with mm-hmm. a lot of thought beforehand as a poem and then what the last minute thing is fitting it to the song. Yeah, I think that, that's so much. that makes sense or, or making making it rhyme or something like that, you know. Um I may be falling for a trick here, but the the lyrics are good. They're they're cool language. Like they, they sound yeah. like poetry to me, you know. I mean, yeah, me too. There's a, there's a great sound to them. They fit they fit the song really well. They're strange strange. Well, I was just listening there was some the great the grateful vacuum of affluence. Mm-hmm. There's like that, that one there. I was just listening to the album before we recorded while I was walking to go get groceries. And um, I was listening to those lyrics and I was like, yeah, those, those are good lyrics. Like, I, you know, I'm pretty sure that's what he probably sat around writing the poetry at different times and then turned it into a song later. Well, I mean, apparently, I mean, he'd been kind of songwriting or, or doing poetry for years, you know, and, and sort of in the outskirts of the music industry for a while. I know Polly. Polly was supposedly about a a case where a, a girl was kidnapped and like raped and held for ransom. Oh wow! And, like I didn't realize there was actually a dark yeah. story behind that. that was yeah, just a weird... in the the song, you know, Polly wants a cracker. I think I should get off her first. Uh, she wants a glass of water to put out the blowtorch. So in in the real life case, I guess this girl befriended her kidnapper and, and finally kind of convinced him to, to let her go. And okay. that's, that's how they ended up finding them and stuff. But it, that's about like something that really happened. I think um, the rest of them, rest of them, I think, I don't know. Um, I mean, they tend to have sort they're, they're a bit like joy division lyrics. Mm-hmm. They're sort of, um, they have a, they have a, like a, a feel to them. They, they yeah. set up like a, put forward an emotional picture rather than really any kind of um, right. story. That one's got kind of a story to it. The one where the one, um, the one that's become really popular years and years later, uh, something in the way mm-hmm. that one has kind of a little story to it. I remember really liking that one. And just question. recently, like in the last couple of years, hearing it played in places, and I was like, Oh, other people like that song too. That's weird. Like what, uh, the, what's, what's the, the story? Movie. What's, what's, that? The sto- what's the story behind that one? The story. About, oh, uh, I don't know. It's just like, there's a it's a picture of a story of somebody living under a bridge and like it, oh. it just kind of it just kind of paints a picture of an actual narrative a little bit yeah. more so than yeah. I don't mean a story behind the lyrics like how, yeah, how he wrote yeah. the song. I do know the story of how they got smells like teen spirit though. Did you uh come across that the title? No. It was um so they had like kind of a scene in Seattle and they hung out with a lot of riot girl bands and uh-huh. one of the lead singers for uh, Bikini Kill Kathleen Hanna just wrote on the wall, Kurt Cobit, Kurt smells like teen spirit, like just teasing him. He didn't even know it was a deodorant. He just thought it was some kind of a political statement. So he yeah. wrote it into his poetry and ended up using it as a song title. That's funny. 
So apparently he had a really bad breakup with one of the girls in that scene. And yeah. I'm, having, I'm having trouble remembering what her name was or what band she was from. It wasn't Bikini Kill. It was somebody else. It was I looked her up. She was cute. But yeah, I know. I know which one you're talking about. Um, yeah, apparently he wrote a lot. A lot of his stuff was about her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently. Hey, should we them. should we do a drink? Yeah, we we that's something that we do that that sets us apart from all the yeah. other billions of podcasts out there. That's why we're so famous. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna mix my drink while we okay. talk. So tell me, so talk me through what I'm putting into this. Uh, this is the lumberjack, right? I'll just say, look, ladies and gentlemen, we looked for <laughs> something that would make sense. You know, that goes with Seattle. You know, automatically we went to Olympia beer apparently that's hard to get everywhere but you, in the northwest right? yeah you can't really get that anywhere but but tacoma so we we settled on something that we found called the lumberjack cocktail it's a concoction that is that mixes apple cider bourbon lemon juice and maple syrup well, all right is, so we got cider let's see add bourbon so two ounces of bourbon how much bourbon to uh cider what's the ratio too bad we don't have a youtube channel watch you make cocktails <laughs> I know people would be turning it right now. All right. Well, I'm going to make three ounces of bourbon because that's how much bourbon I have. So if I'm doing my math correctly. That should be six ounces of cider. Oh, that tastes pretty good. I'm not doing it um, with as much with as, with as much flair as you are, but I just <laughs> mixed it all together. I'm sure yours is just fine. It smells good. Starting to smell good anyway. Did you use a uh, real maple syrup or Mrs. Butterworth? I use what we had. Yeah. Not real maple <laughs> syrup. Draining it into a very, very, very tall glass. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. The Lumberjack Cocktail. Lumberjack Cocktail. All right. Yeah. I don't know if uh, Cobain would have approved, but, you know. Probably not. I, I, you know, I was trying to think of what he would have drank, but I don't know. I guarantee they drank a lot, but I don't know what it would have been. Maybe. I'm thinking, like beer. I'm thinking beers. They were kind of like working class guys. And, yeah, I guess so. You know, probably just you know, Olympia beers or something like that. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if I ever had Olympia beer. It just tastes like cheap beer. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's just kind of like a Pabst or something like that. Yeah, it's not not the best stuff in the world. So, all right, got our drinks. All Cheers. right, got our drinks. That's a necessary part of this uh, equation here. Not saying that you have to drink to get through this this uh, podcast, but it helps. Yeah, those of you at home listening do not have to drink if you don't want to. <laughs> so let me go down that that list again. So that was. Uh, you want to make this cocktail it's two ounces of bourbon it's going to be four ounces of uh, apple cider two teaspoons of lemon juice uh and then two teaspoons of maple syrup shake it to wake it and you're good to go I, i'm enjoying it i mostly just taste cider and maybe i put too much cider in. But... i don't taste any maple syrup so so listening to this album when was the last time you listened to this album do you think uh before just now <laughs> before, before getting before getting ready um, for the show, yeah you know what's funny is my my daughter, my fifteen year old, is really into Nirvana. Huh, okay. uh, she has she has this in vinyl. Ooh, uh, neat. I actually listen to this quite a bit. I mean, I, I listen to I guess the mainstays, so like Lithium and, and uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. I listen to especially Come As You Are. Mm -hmm. um, I hadn't listened to a lot of the others on a plane. Breed, Polly, Drain You, Stay Away. I had I hadn't really listened to any of those until I re-listen to the whole album, which is sort of saying something, but because they're all great songs, but um, mm -hmm. I did listen to this quite a bit. It still gets a lot of airplay too. For what airplay is worth these days. I'm, I actually just don't ever listen to the radio. If, I, if I'm in a rental car or something and I can't get my Bluetooth to work, I might listen to the radio. That's, that's yeah. 
literally almost the only time I would, which I kind of, I kind of miss having someone else decide what I listen to every now and then. There's a feeling like when something. Wait, wait, wait. Aren't you married? (laughs) Nice. Well, that's, that's deciding what I do and what I eat, where I go, (laughs) what I say. Not so much what I listen to. That's, you know, I'm, I'm free in that one small aspect of my life. So you said that this one hit you pretty hard the way it did for me, right? Like hearing smells like teen spirit was a big deal. So I think that some of that had to do with like, I was reading about the influences on this album and on Nirvana in general. And a lot of it really is a lot like it. It's it's like the Pixies, for instance. Mm -hmm. This, this sounds a lot like the Pixies. This is very much inspired by the Pixies. Sadly, I was not aware of the Pixies, you know, when I was 14. I think I'd heard of the band, but I did not listen to the Pixies. And I wish I had, because years later, that ended up being like one of my favorite bands. I went to go see them when they were in uh, Phoenix one time. Do you remember how big, how big a thing Seattle was? This is a city that I hadn't heard crap about pretty much my entire life up to that point. And then all of a sudden, Ooh, Seattle, you got to go to Seattle, the Seattle sound, the Seattle scene, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's wearing plaid. Everybody's yep. dressing like like lumberjacks. So the uniform based on Seattle was uh, you had a beanie, a plaid shirt, untucked yep. over a typically a black shirt, and then ratty jeans and like work boots. Like that was the that was the uniform. Suddenly that was the style. Yeah, right? yeah, um, I wore it. I, people, I, I definitely I had tons of flannel. Um, I had I mean jeans. I always wear jeans, but I, I had flannel shirts all the time, and I would have like a band t shirt. And the flannel on top of that, like you wear the flannel almost like a jacket, like unbuttoned. Yeah, I, right. I guess you'd still see people do that, but that was definitely the thing in the night. That's one of the only times in my life where I actually got into dressing like in a way that was current with the times. And, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, what was funny about it, it was just like a lazy way to dress. Dressing, that's that's why I adopted. Yeah, it. that's that's why I was so good at it right. too. You know, what's funny is like the hairband era, and and another great thing about this album is it's it it, it is considered. The thing that kind of by itself killed the hairband, which is great, right. if you ask me. Before yeah. this, before yeah. this, you had to wear a, a denim jacket with a band logo on the back. Like he'd have like an Iron Maiden patch, like a big Iron Maiden patch would be on the back. Right. Um, right. You know, you'd have to wear like sort of skinny jeans. Yeah, it was it was a whole look. Girls would would uh, put so much Aquanet in their hair and make it stand up. And you know, it's funny because. Metallica obviously survived yeah. the onslaught of Nirvana. Guns N' Roses survived. Yeah. Um, Metallica, to me, and I don't think this is fair. I think I ended up liking them years later, but they seemed almost kind of country to me or something. Metallica? And I, did, I didn't like them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, did not, I didn't find them appealing at all. It, it, it might have been like a generational thing. It might have yeah. just been that there was a group of guys who were like 10 years older than me that loved metal, mm-hmm. and that just wasn't me. Like, I just wasn't into that. This was like my thing for my generation was was a slightly different take on it. For some reason, I never really felt like Guns N' Roses fit in either category. They were kind of metal, but they were also kind of punk. But they were musically really good. Like Metallica and Guns N' Roses had a different sound Mm -hmm. than like the other hair bands. So like Motley Crue could or maybe White Snake or Great White, like those could be considered the hair bands. Right. And they sing about stupid stuff. By comparison, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they really did. Yeah, it they, it's all about about you know getting getting girls. I was about to say something else, but Alex might listen uh, about you know getting girls doing whatever in the bathroom, 
Dr. Feelgood, uh, Girls, Girls, Girls. I mean, it's Sorry, it's, doing whatever in the bathroom? I don't know what they could. It could be smoking. They could be doing other <laughs> stuff in the bathroom, whatever. It was, and so, but Metallica's thing about- The subject matter of Metallica was more sophisticated. It, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was much yeah. more serious. Actually, um, I loved Enter Sandman. Yeah, Enter that Sandman. song- that song was, re- I really, I loved that one. I had that as like a yeah. single and I used to listen to it over and over again, but I never got into Metallica in general. And I had some Guns N' Roses. But see, that was the album. The Black album came out in 91. That was their, the reason why it's so big is that's their like most popular album. I had a, and just I don't know whether it was before it, but it was like super like, wow. like everything wow. that they're really known for uh, by, by the, by the popular crowd. I'll say. I mean, they got popular spin with with the Black Album. Guns and Roses was also sort of serious as well. I mean, they you know some kind of silly songs, but um, uh, Welcome to the Jungle is a hard hitting, pretty cool song, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You can play Welcome to the Jungle and Here Come the Rooster by Allison Chains, and it's pretty much the same <laughs> the same subject, you know, with different a little bit different sounds. But that Soundgarden was the first grunge band that I heard. I heard them. A little bit, but I remember hearing "Break My Rusty Cage" like a year or two, like before I, or maybe it, maybe it's time is kind of what's the what's the uh, the phenomenon where things kind of contract and dilate yeah, depending yeah. on your own perceptions. But right. these periods of like maybe three or four months feel like they were a couple of years because I was fourteen and life was changing <laughs> really. You're changing so fast. You're growing right. so fast and changing so fast at that age. And I remember just having like a whole new crop of friends when I got to high school and. Everything was definitely uh, moving fast. But anyway, Soundgarden, I was aware of. That was the first Seattle band. I don't even know if I knew they were a Seattle band. And, you know, they ended up being really good. I didn't really get into Soundgarden that much, but Chris Cornell is the best singer of the crop. Oh, absolutely. He, like, he, sort of far and he away. Was, yeah, he, that guy, God. Have you ever heard, there, there's a, there's this YouTube channel where they'll, they'll isolate a singer and, uh-huh. and they'll say, like, Chris Cornell without the band singing... Mm-hmm. Black Hole Sun or something. And you listen to him and you're like, God, this guy's like operatic. I mean, he yeah. was just such a beautiful voice. Axel Rose oh. was a really good singer. Lincoln Park, by the way, was the was another band in that when I was at the bar listening to all those bands, Lincoln Park came on too. And I was like, I can't, I can't go see them in concert. Did they did somebody die from Lincoln Park too? Yeah, that lead singer killed us. Oh himself. wow. Fred Durst is still with us though. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like uh athlete's foot <laughs> yeah. he doesn't he doesn't, yeah. doesn't quite go away but so, uh, did you get to see any of these bands no I, I didn't see any of them i mean i you know i, I lived in las cruces new mexico in the 90s who yeah. where am i going to see any of those bands right i was poor i had no way to travel you know people are talking about seattle i could barely find it on a map and people are like going to seattle and going to shows and they talked about this whole scene where you could like imagine living in a city before these bands hit like imagine living in seattle in 1990 Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, hey, I'm going to go see Pearl Jam tonight over at the bar. And then after that, tomorrow night, we're going to go see Soundgarden. And then, you know, yeah. and, and then on Tuesday night, we're going to go see Alice in Chains. Can you imagine what that would have been like? It would have been awesome. Yeah. It would have been great. I mean, that's that's the whole point. That that movie, Singles, do you remember that movie mm-hmm. out yep. in the 90s? Yep. It was about Seattle. It was about, you know, the club scene in Seattle. And, and yeah, per- Pearl Jam's, I think Pearl Jam's first two songs are on that soundtrack. Eddie Vedder was in the movie. <laughs> you know? Is Eddie Vedder in the movie? Oh, that's yeah, funny. he's actually in the movie. He's uh, Matt uh, Dillon. Matt Dillon, yeah. So Matt Dillon's in it. He's like a he's like the the leader of a of a terrible band, you know, grunge band, and they're just like waiting to pop. As Eddie Vedder is one of the guys in the band. Oh, really? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. 
I, you know, I'm not sure I ever actually watched that movie from start to finish. I've seen bits of it. Um, it's it's not. The I best. had the soundtrack. The soundtrack is great. Soundtrack's great. It's not really the best, but it 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 does. I think Cameron Crowe wrote it, and and um, it sort of captures what was going on at the time. I mean, that's that's how much in the zeitgeist Seattle was. When was the last time you saw it? Other than that one. The last movie even set in Seattle, you know, maybe leave it. Oh, I don't know. Uh, even even it? more so. What was the last big scene anywhere in America? Like, what was the last time that there was a big music scene or something? Yeah, like that? you're right. And this, and you're God. I hadn't I hadn't put it into that perspective. That's such a good point because you had like Motown, Detroit, Motown, yep. right? You yep. had Chicago. You had like Memphis blues, New Orleans jazz, you know, New it's Orleans like, jazz through the 20th got, century. There's all these got, scenes that pop yeah, up. Yeah, got, uh, and then you've got like punk, Seattle, and punk in New York in the 70s. You know? And they're associated. So Seattle would be grunge, I guess. Yeah, that's a great point. I guess it, it kind of, but you don't really talk about it that much. I mean, Seattle is so far away from everything else in the world. Yeah, you know, really Pacific is. Northwest, it is kind of a place unto itself up there um, that you really have to travel. If you want to, I mean, you have to want to go there to go there, you know, not like yeah. you're passing. It's not like you're passing through it. Like no, it's not on the way to anything else. Yeah, it's not really on the way. To, you know, it is a destination. So like you have to cross no matter how you're getting there by land, you have to cross about 500 miles of nothing. Before nothing you get right. to, yeah, for sure. You know, like when you drive up from San Francisco, there's no city until you get to Portland. And that's like oh, a thousand miles. Yeah, that's a it, long that's way. A, it's a long haul. I've done that. And I've driven it. I've driven it. It's beautiful up there. It's really, really beautiful part of the country, but there's not much there in terms there's of- There's only so many times you can see trees. Coming from, no, it, the, coming from the east, you got to cross Eastern Washington, which is just, yeah. you know, pretty much just like New Mexico with even less people, it right. seems like. But even, even now, like- <laughs> They're, Antifa still riots like every night <laughs> in the city. Yeah, you know, they're still yeah. they're still like you know burning cars and stuff like that. They're everybody else in the world just sort of stopped doing that like yeah. a week and a half ago. Yeah, um, I have to say I I saw there's a guy I don't know when I started following him on Twitter, but he's like a um, he's kind of kind of kind of mean spirited, like making fun of various social justice warrior type people. Um, huh? But occasionally it's kind of funny. But anyway, he always posts this material about New York. And and like all the terrible things going on in New York, I'm like, I live in New York. What do you talk? What is this from? This is not. This is not what New York looks like. Like yeah. abandoned cars all over the streets. I'm like, that's. It looks like it always did. That's not. <laughs> it might have been intensely bad, like when all the riots were going on. Maybe. I, and I really yeah, don't know because yeah. I wasn't here. Seattle had that when I when I was when I visited. It was, uh, you know, it had a lot of a lot have of. Have you been there recently? A lot of drug issues. When did I go? Probably. Oh man, oh, five, six, seven years ago, something like that. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So not like within the last couple of years, but it was, you know, it was, there were people mainlining under streetlights on the sidewalk, you know, when yeah. I was, when I was up there and, and there were, you know, homeless people all over the place. And, and the reason I went there was for my, my book, Bucketless Bars. Oh, cool. Because the bar that Jimi Hendrix, like I think pr- first performed at, and I believe Allison Chains first performed there, Nirvana performed there. It's called the Central Saloon down in the downtown Seattle area. It's been there since the 1800s. So for us, that was kind of a cool bar that we wanted to go to. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. All the famous ones here are gone. All the CBGB type bars oh, are all gone. I know. Did I, I never got to see Nirvana live. I would have maybe gotten to go like the next year because I think they were at Lollapalooza mm-hmm. and they were supposed to be at the next one, but he was dead before that ended up happening. Right. But I remember my friends, my friend had just moved from LA to DC in ninth grade. He had just moved there. 
And his sister, like her big claim to fame for me was that she had seen Nirvana in, in LA before they moved. Like wow. when they had bleached out, like before uh -huh. Smells Like Teen Spirit, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I always thought, oh, she's like this music guru. And yeah. I remember I asked her, I was like, I was like, what's the next really big band going to be like? You, you're really in, in charge of that. You're really on top of things. And mm -hmm. she was like, okay, I have a tip for you. There's this band, Stereo MCs. They're going to be the <laughs> No, <best band. laughs> I am the high step of world. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's Aini Kamozi. It's, it's oh, similar, that's Kamozi. Who, it's similar they, to that. They, they I can't remember. They, they had a couple of singles that were popular for a little bit, but I can't, actually can't remember. What oh, it's connected. Part. Better get yourself connected. Yes, that's it. That's, the wall. it. that's it. Yeah. yeah. If yeah, your mind's it. neglected. Yeah. Stumble, you might. <laughs> <mind. laughs> I thought you were going to say, all right, there's this band coming up called The Presidents of the United States of America. Oh, my God. <laughs> the most I, found, I think they were from Seattle. I think. I'm going to look that up. Um, maybe, uh, you know, uh, I worked at a record store when they were really big tower records in DC and, um, all the people I worked with were like in these bands that were struggling to make it. And they were so mad about the president's United States of America. They were like, these <laughs> guys terrible. are terrible. Like why they were, they yeah, they were formed in Seattle in 1993. Oh, wow. Okay. They, they had some catchy tunes weirdly enough, oh, but, were, um, so you got, you got Nirvana on one end of the spectrum and then you got the presidents of the United States of America with lump on the other side of the spectrum, both from the same city. Check, check this one out. I don't know if this ever got to be a, a lawsuit or anything, but apparently a lot of people think that the Boston song, More Than a Feeling, sounds uh -huh. just like, smells like teen spirit. Let me cue up this part of it right, right as it goes into the chorus, okay? Do you know this song that I'm talking about? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I love that song. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, right. That is perfectly good. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> when did that song come out? I think it's actually early 80s, right? That's got to be. Look at that hair. 1976. 1976. Okay, yeah, I was going to say I was thinking 70s, but it felt a little later than that. Green Days. Was it American Idiot or something? Basically, that whole uh, album sounds like other stuff, you know? Yeah, um, sure. So I mean, you know, that was it. That was a good band, and they were not from Seattle, but I, I sort of lumped Bay, them Bay in Bay a little yeah. bit. They're in the Bay I sort Area. Of, yeah, well, it's in the area, yeah, but it's I, I kind of lumped them into the grunge thing. They were a little more classic punk. Yeah, than, they're, they're kind of with their look punk, and yeah. stuff like. Like Nirvana would not have had a mohawk. Nobody in Nirvana would yeah, have had a mohawk. Whereas, like one of the guys in Green Day did. Was yeah. Sort of, yeah, the Bay Area is funny too because actually, actually, Metallica's from the Bay Area. One of my favorite yeah. bands, Faith No More, is from the Bay Area. Oh, um, I remember them. I like them a lot. That's um, another one that was sort of like a precursor to this sound a little bit. Yeah. Like there was, that was one of the first things that was alternative rock that I started hearing on the radio. Mm -hmm. No more. All of a sudden it changed. It was like we always had this alternative rock station in D.C., mm -hmm. but I really started listening to that as my primary radio station in, in 1991, like right about the time, maybe even a little bit before Nirvana came out. But I transitioned. They said it was. Michael Jackson's Dangerous was the big album in America, yeah. immediately preceding uh, uh, Nevermind coming out. Ugh. And I was thinking that really represents the transition in my music. As I mm -hmm. went from being 13 to 14, it was all, it was not all pop, 
I always liked new wave. I like things like the cure and REM and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Like, so they're kind of alternative, mm -hmm. but um, they were on the radio on the regular radio. I had Michael Jackson's dangerous. And I remember being excited about the video for black or black or white when it came out yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And then it transitioned immediately, like for me into this, like this was, this was the next thing for me. So, but I was really, I was really young. Like I was a kid. So yeah, I don't know how cool you're supposed to be when you're 12 or 13, but <laughs> well, I mean, you're supposed to, you're, you're, you're still, I think at that age, you're kind of looking for what it is you like, you know, because exactly. a exactly. lot of it is you're certainly being influenced by popular culture, but at the same time, we're thinking, wait, do I really like this? <laughs> you know, everybody yeah. says I should, I should be listening to this, but I don't really like it that much. I mean, with me, I mean, we had like two rock stations in this little town and was there a university radio station? There was, that and that's, that's what I was getting to. Yeah. Carry UX. We, they weren't, it wasn't even rock. It was more pop, you know, whatever was pop is uh, what they would play. And right. so I would, you would hear stuff like Bill Biv DeVoe and all this other garbage that I, Janet Jackson, I sure. mean, Mariah Carey. I did, sure. I hated that stuff so much. I knew I hated it. I just could not bear to listen. I, to I did like Bill Biv DeVoe, I have to admit. I had, I had that album. <laughs> but every now and then, every now and then, like REM would come on. And this is back like before, like losing my religion, which is a terrible yeah. song, but yeah. some of the, some of the oh, old REM stuff, oh, it's, it's horrible. It's just overplayed. That's why I don't it's overplayed. Like it. it is overplayed. I can't it stand it to hear it because I heard it about a thousand times mm -hmm. you know, in the 90s. And every now and then a good song would come on. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I turn it up. I'd listen to that. And then yes. the other junk would come yeah. on. I'd turn it down. That feeling of having a good song come up on the radio mm -hmm. and being yeah. like, oh, this this is my song. Like, stop what you're doing. Like, listen to this. That's just kids. Kids. I hate to say use this phrase, but kids, kids today, today yeah. will never have that experience because right. you can just listen to whatever you want, which is great. But that feeling of like hearing your jam and like stopping what you're doing to get that song. Mm -hmm. That was I used to tape things off the radio. I had my tape recorder yeah. ready to go right. and I was yeah. playing the songs on, on the tape deck and I would I would hit record when a good yeah. one came yeah. on. I remember being so desperate. I didn't have Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet yet. I didn't have the setup like a box, like deck tape deck yet. So I had like one of those, you know, office tape recorders. And I remember just yeah, holding yeah. it next to the radio on my clock radio, <laughs> trying to record Bon Jovi I, I, for myself. Dude, I'm so, I, I've been there. Absolutely. I was going to say, we've talked a lot about the musical legacy of Nirvana in terms of, you know, creating the grunge era, making alternative music mainstream. But we, what we haven't talked about is like the successor groups to nirvana which is i don't know if you remember the breeders mm -hmm. yeah, remember them yep. that was um i think it's kim deal from the pixies right I think I, so, yeah. I, I yeah. along with chris novus is it chris novoselic i'm having yeah. a, a brain novoselic but it's it's him from nirvana and then obviously the big one is the foo fighters, foo fighters yeah. and for me the Foo Fighters, I was so disappointed about losing Nirvana that I just wouldn't listen to the Foo Fighters. Yeah. I was just like, this sucks. Like this, because it's different. It's very different. It's more like traditional rock and roll. Yeah. But in yeah. hindsight, the Foo Fighters are a really yeah. good band. And when you're when I'm listening to this album now, I was listening, I was walking around, I was like, you know, Dave Grohl's drumming is like 50% of what I like so much about Nirvana. He's yeah. really good. It really drives and it's very rock, like very like roots RB, like rock style you can hear the drums so much i think i sort of sold him short i just wasn't he's actually a local guy he's from northern virginia 
where oh, I grew I up. Know. He went yeah. to one of the high schools like nearby. That's right. He, and, he grew up in DC. That's right. I read that. Yeah, yeah. At least for part of his, I think he moved yeah. later, but he used to do this promo for the local radio station, DC 101, where he mm-hmm. would get on and he'd be like, I'm Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. And I swear to God, when I was a kid, I actually listened to DC 101. Like, <laughs> that was funny. Pretty cool. And then at the Nats games, they play times like these. They play times oh, like times these, like these. Times like these every, every time the Nats win. So I have really good associations with that. And then they play Three Little Birds by Bob Marley when they lose, which is kind of oh, fun. Okay. Well, so. Yeah, I, I think you're right. They are really much more kind of traditional rock and roll, but they're really good rock and roll. They really like, are. It's like the traditional, like... Um, they're so, a bit like the White Stripes. They just kind of uh, rock, like in, a, I mean, like in yeah, an old fashioned Maybe the White way. Stripes or the Black Keys. I mean, they have kind of a... They, those guys have sort of a sound where they're like a guitar and drums. No, I would say more like, like something from more of the 70s. Not really an 80s band, but more like a 70s rock band. Like I'm trying to think of a good example of somebody like... like um, Jethro Tull or, or a little bit like Van Halen, maybe Van Halen, like the seventies versions of Van Halen or Aerosmith, the seven, not, not what Aerosmith became. Maybe a little bit like Aerosmith. Yeah. Like old, old Aerosmith stuff. I mean, just a rock band, right? Before that was, the problem is you say rock band and you think hair band, like rock band from right. the eighties is hair. And, and those were all kind of, those became like caricatures of what are other yeah. rock band, right? Like Motley Crue is a complete caricature, right? Yeah. But like the band. Hey, uh, hey, what has a what has seven arms and sucks? What? Def Leppard. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. All Def right. Leppard. Yeah. That's cruel. Um, that's cruel. Yeah, right? that's a great. That's a for those that don't know the story, go look it up. So I was saying, like they're they're more like just kind of a traditional rock band that you'd find like the seventies or the eighties, not yeah, a heavy band, so. but just a rock band. There was a YouTube video I watched. Uh, it actually was before you were you picked this after I was watching this video and it was about um, smells like teen spirit. The guy just breaks down the entire song and the recording of it. What makes, mm-hmm. I think his, I think his channels like what makes this song great or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about it. And it's really, really, uh, you know, you, you learn a lot about the song you're listening to, but what I, what I remembered him saying was he was talking about how rock and roll is kind of irrelevant today. And he was saying how it became less and less popular, the more it moved away from its blues roots you know, away from actually having like a beat and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was thinking, man, that is so true. Cause when I, I remember being all, I was already moving out of liking rock music and then I heard white stripes and I was like, Oh, okay. They sound really cool. And like listening to them again, like being mm-hmm. like, this is making me happy. This makes me want to listen to this music. Like, because they recaptured some of that old R and B vibe to, yes. the, to the music. So even the, like the chords and, and, and all that stuff that like the white stripes use. And they even admit it, like it's very traditional, blues you know old r&b blues funny thing is a lot of these bands as much as their image seems very contemporary to the 90s right like nirvana and pearl jam and stuff especially like kurt cobain really knew his r&b like he was really into like lead belly and stuff like yeah. that like yeah. he was steeped in that stuff and i don't think today in 2022 I don't think there's anybody working like young people that have any idea about the roots of rock music or care anything about it. I think it. you're probably right. I mean, something else, I, I just have to get this out there. I don't, I mean, Kurt Cobain was not a guitar god by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, you know, no, very, no, no, no. very, so he stuck with what worked, right? Right. Power chords, you know, and, and very simple rhythms. And that worked for him. Mark Knopfler, I think, is probably one of the best 
living guitarists in the world. And like, if you hear Sultans of Swing, for example, that, and if you ever actually look at the music for Sultans of Swing or even the tabulature, it's, you're like, what the hell is this guy doing? I mean, it's just, he's just, the guitar is its own thing throughout the song. You can play a really passable version of Smells Like Teen Spirit with the capo on the first fret mm-hmm. and just A minor, C, G. My daughter. I'm sorry, it's not A minor. It's not A minor, actually. It's actually A, G, C, E. It's, my, but my, it's very my, simple. My 15-year-old plays it. It's, it. it is really simple, I think. And, and, you know, now that I think about it, now that you say that, there are some particular bands that are that became really popular that I would I would probably classify in you know like the like the Foo Fighters like a very kind of traditional rock band that kind of uh-huh. stick to the basics. I think um, like Blink One Eighty Two is sort of like that. They don't try to do anything you know r- super artistic or anything. They're very you know simplistic. Uh, that's what, another one of my my daughter's favorite. That's why. I, I hear so much of them too, but you know, they're just very simple. They don't, they don't try to be really super complicated. Stick yeah. to the basics and, and write it. I think that's a hallmark of emo is mm-hmm. being, being pretty simple. They, yeah. That's where rock was losing me a little bit with emo. Yeah. I, I, I remember being like, Oh, there's a new scene. Like I'm going to start, I actually lived in Austin. Not, not long after that first mm-hmm. happened. I remember thinking, Oh, I'm going to try to appreciate this scene. And I was just, I don't like the, the way the guy sings in blink 182, the whiny yeah. voice. And stuff, I just, yeah. I don't know. That was, and I didn't feel like rock music. It didn't move like these. It didn't yeah. have that bluesy edge to it that like, really, I was listening to this one as I was walking, I was like, every single one of these songs just moves yeah. in an old fashioned kind of way that I don't even remember being my perception of the music as a kid. But hearing it now, I'm like, yeah, this is definitely like traditional rock music. It's, it's, yeah. it's pretty good stuff. Yeah, um, it's funny because so I, I looked up the definition of grunge. The way they define something as grunge is it's a cross oh, between. I, was, I wanted huh? to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Go for, I, want, I was going to yeah. ask you what, because um, to me, it's kind of just an aesthetic of the way people dress. But no, it was, me, it, me, it's me. a musical. It's a musical style that blends punk and, and traditional rock and roll. So okay. you've got you've got the structure of a of punk, but right. slowed down. It's not as fast as punk. Like punk is you know really fast. Well, except for except for territorial pissings, right? That one. Right. That, like, <laughs> out of way! Out of way! Out yeah, of way! Yeah, that, that, that one, one. That one. That one sort of does get a little bit fast. They could, um, they could be headbangers when they wanted to. Be yeah, for sure. But but so it, it kind of blends those two musical styles. And the other the other thing and the thing that really separates it is the substance of the song. Mm-hmm. So the substance focuses on more angst, self, self-loathing, or maybe psychological problems, whatever issues they're having. They don't talk about love. They don't talk about girls. They don't talk about, you know, they talk about drugs. They don't talk about how awesome they are. Yeah, they don't talk about how awesome they are. You know, like Bad Company. That, see, that I can definitely. Bad, bad Company in their song, Bad Company, from the album Bad Company. <laughs> There's nothing but talk about themselves in the entire song. We're bad company. That's who we are. That one's kind of dark, though, at least. That's kind of bad. Versus Nirvana's like, you know, mommy and daddy come home and they hate me or they're not there or whatever, you know. Or a kid shooting himself in front of the school. Yeah, a kid shooting. Yeah, I was just about to say a lot. Yeah, that's Uh, true. There's a lot of dark stuff. The song uh, Alive. Eddie Vedder wrote that about. His stepfather. No, his real father. His oh yeah, yeah, never, yeah, that's right. He never knew his mom when he was thirteen. His mom said, "Oh, by the way, your dad's dead. Sorry, yeah. you never knew him." You know, and walked out. Yeah. And that, the whole song is about that. It's like 
you know, so this is something a hairband would never worry about, right? No, you would. So, so that to me is legitimate. That's every single one of these bands. That's a hallmark of Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. They all have that in common. But I was thinking about the music of Nevermind and the music of Ten. Mm-hmm. They don't sound the same to me. They don't no, really they sound don't. like the same style. No. Because, like I'm saying, these traditional like rock and roll rhythms to the songs, Pearl Jam's not doing that in most of their yeah. stuff. They're more like they're drawn out like long. It's good. I like it in a lot of yeah. ways, but it's a different style of music. It doesn't really sound well, much. They have like a that. they have a better guitarist, I think. Um, they do have a better guitarist. Yeah, that's true. Cobain was, and, and same with Soundgarden. I mean, they were like so Soundgarden. Better had, singer, honestly. Eddie yeah. Vedder is a better singer than Kurt Cobain yeah. too. But they had they had you know between Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, they had a full band. I think they have five members. So the bassist, lead guitar, uh, lead singer, or maybe just four of them, and uh, and drummer. Whereas Nirvana had, you know, guitarist, bassist, and drummer, and that was it. And so they can get a little bit more range out of what they're doing, right? Yeah. They can do more musically, I guess. But their message, the messages though, were still very introspective. They were very much about, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. about yeah. life, life as a young person in wherever they are, right? Whatever those ha- messages about, have to be. Think about the way Alive starts. Versus mm-hmm. the way Smells Like Teen Spirit starts. Smells Like Teen Spirit right away, it's like, you get a beat right away. You get the beat, you know what beat's going to go through the whole song. And Alive starts out with a long guitar solo. Yeah, yeah. That's a great, yeah. and it's a great riff too. Very that's one, different. That's it's one of the all, my all-time favorite. I, I love that album. I, I, I probably, I don't know which of these two albums I like better. I, I really liked that album a lot. I haven't listened to it in years. Yeah, but I used to listen to ten just as much as I listened yeah, to this. It's just kind of wonderful. But I think I think there's something about, and I think it is the rawness of smells like or, or of Nevermind. Yeah, for the entire album, I think the rawness does take it to another level because it's like I've taken all my makeup off. You know, I've I've I'm totally burying my soul here. You know, yeah. I'm, I this is raw. This is my message. You know, we're a screwed up generation and we come from screwed up people that raised us and we live yeah. in a screwed up world. And this is just sort of who we are. And we're not going to try to sugarcoat it. And I think that, and then also we're going to wear whatever we found on the floor in our room. <laughs> yeah, that was part of it. <laughs> to, yes. to the stage, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and in interviews or whatever. And like uh, these two, these two singers from Pearl Jam and, uh, and Nirvana, uh-huh. both of those guys uh-huh. are like, like model good-looking guys they are yeah absolutely. but the way they dressed was like you know the floppy stringy yeah. hair and yeah, yeah. he's got that he's got that grandma sweater on for the unplugged <laughs> yeah uh, the know. green one i want to yeah, buy you know so it was like they knew they needed like a front man to the band they needed, needed like a good-looking guy in the band but it was like the opposite aesthetic for the for like how they dressed and right how they acted right. and stuff like that that's true well, i don't think that was well, the run i don't think the, the looks hurt like if they look like meatloaf i don't think they would have had the no. same the same success. <laughs> so. Well, you know what? I think we're kind of uh, we're starting to run a little bit long on time. There's tons, okay, of, well, tons, tons to say yeah. about this, but um, did anything <laughs> surprise you about this? I, this is you know, this is a work that I know backwards and forwards. Yeah, I, um, I don't know if I guess my biggest surprise. I guess uh, sorry if I cut you off, but oh, I, I have to say my biggest surprise is the role of Dave Grohl and the drums in this album. And and what when I listen to it, how much of what I like about it mm-hmm. is the great drums and the great beats. Um, that's something that's kind of new to me coming back to it mm-hmm. now after all these years. Yeah. So 
I don't know if anything like that jumped out at you. You know, not really. I I, I tried really hard to find a surprise. Um, oh, here's I guess another I, one. The title of the album, Nevermind. Mm-hmm. I okay. actually always thought that that came from Where Is My Mind, the Pixie mm-hmm. song that Smells Like Teen Spirit kind of rips off a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's from Nevermind the Bollocks, the Sex Pistols album. Yeah. Which again brings back that whole Sid and Nancy thing. Like, yeah, so I think that's. Cool. I think that's definitely on his mind. Anyway, go ahead. What you were going to say? No, I was just going to say. I, you know, I didn't find a lot that was surprising. I mean, this is the first time I really kind of took a deep dive into their history, and the one that really stands out is Kurt Cobain. I found out about you know he, he had a really broken history. He had to live with like friends of the family because I think his dad went to jail or died or something like that, or maybe his mom went to jail. Anyway, he he just had a really broken home. But the thing is, that wasn't surprising. You know, <laughs> this is this is the age of of where my dad split when I was three. And I, I got to be honest with you, I I think I knew more people my age that I went to school with who had broken homes than I knew people that had had, you know, normal yeah. homes that stayed together. It was just something about that generation, the generation before us, the baby boomers or whatever. They just, I don't know. I don't know what it was. They were the first generation that could get divorced. Yeah. That, that had still gotten married. There, so was, no, there was no stigma. And they, so well, they, there was no stigma. They, but yeah. they had gotten married young the way people had traditionally gotten married. But they hadn't. They were suddenly allowed to get divorced. So they did get yeah. divorced. So, I really think people of our generation, um, maybe I just think a lot highly of us. But I, I, I went into getting married with a lot of thought. I really yeah, was, right. I really, it was a choice. Like I wanted to get married. I was ready to get married. I was going to make it work. I did not feel forced into it. I just think that's kind of what we're like. I, it seemed to me like all of my friends came from divorced families yeah. when I was growing up, but I, that you, may have you, been a, that may have been a selection. Too, you did too, didn't you? Yeah. My parents, my yeah. parents were divorced, but yeah. it seems like that may have been a selection thing though. Like I may have sort of gravitated oh. towards kids who had a little bit maybe, of, maybe, you know, I mean, I just know that most of my friends, you know, that that's kind of the household they came from. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, it was super uh, common. but I guess what I'm saying is that so when I found out about his history, it wasn't a surprise, you know, because I'm like, oh, OK, well, that sort of makes sense. First of all, with the lyrics and stuff that he's singing and, it, and that kind of stuff does make you it makes you a bit introspective, you know, and, and really kind of think about things beyond girls, girls, girls and. You Maybe know, it does, yeah. And and, and Doctor Feelgood and stuff like that, you know. I was definitely um, a very introspective child. Yeah, and and, and I think that Gen Gen X is is a very introspective generation, and so I guess what I'm saying is no, I I I, I didn't really have any surprises, and I I need to cut myself off because I I could talk about this for yeah for, for a yeah. long time, but this was my pick. Tradition okay. on the show is that uh, you have to decide since it's not your pick, you get to decide whether this thing is classic. Voice D is the pick. That's yeah. it. Um, this is this is a classic. No question. This is an album that I loved, that mm-hmm. I still love when I listen to it. I had no problem listening to it. I enjoyed listening to it again. It's got huge historical impact. Yeah, uh, this is a hundred percent a classic. This is if if you were telling the story of rock and roll in the later the last twenty years of the mm-hmm. of the twentieth century, this is this is in your story. If it's not, you're missing something. Very so, good. this is a big one. And this is probably, if I had to choose one from all of grunge, this is probably the most emblematic, even though I do like 10, yeah, probably right. just as much as this. I think this is more emblematic I think than, than 10. That's, why, that's probably why you chose this instead of that to talk yeah. about. Here, so. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and toast it. I'm in. All right. So. 
Glad to hear that. And uh, uh, and so for our next episode, we're going to do something else. What are we doing? Next episode, we're going to do some literature. We're going to do uh, Stephen King's book, uh, first novel, Carrie. Is that called uh, literature? Do we call it literature? I think so. I think so. We're going to talk about it quite a I bit. I guess we'll I, find out. I think this book qualifies as it's, it's a, uh, but anyway, uh, it's, I actually have sort of a unofficial lifetime goal bucket list thing of trying to read all of his books because I've read a huge swath of them. And this is right. one I had not read. So save, save it. And, uh, and, and we'll, we'll talk about it, uh, talk about it next time. So cool. Thank you for, uh, for joining us, everybody for, uh, for toasting the classics. I am Clint Lanier. And I'm Dave MacArthur. I just realized that's the first time we said that today. We didn't tell everybody. That's okay. We that's so. okay. We kept him guessing. And, yeah. uh, and until next time, peace out. Peace out. That's it for episode 65 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, stay tuned to find out what we'll be drinking for our discussion of fear and loathing in Las Vegas. There's so much to choose from. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know who you'd like to hang out with with the lights out. A mulatto, an albino, or a mosquito. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.